It's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right. I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them unique. And we want to know about everyone. So we're asking, what's your thing? Brennan, it's our first episode. Not only our first podcast, we have one hell of a guest lined up. With us today, we have Ferdos Karas, who is an Indo-Canadian and is changing the world with behavioral change communications. He is a fascinating guy with a truly amazing story, but not only that, he's just super humble, and we're really looking forward to this interview. So, Ferdos, we're asking, what's your thing? Well, Ferdos, thanks for being here on our first ever podcast for What's Your Thing. It's pretty amazing to have you here as a, as a guest. What a, what a first guest to start with. I know. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing that I've met you so much in our personal life, you know, sharing like squash courts and knowing you through my sister, but then not knowing what you've done and listening to your commencement speech, Carleton University, it was, it's pretty incredible. You know, it's, it's humbling to know that you're such a fascinating guy, but at the same time, such a just regular guy. Ah, thank you. It's a it's a pleasure for me to be here, and really, I'm uh, absolutely delighted to be the first guest on this podcast. I hope it goes uh, gains great strength. I look forward to hearing all of them, not just the one that I'm on, but uh, I'll be a faithful listener to all of them. And I'm really pleased with you're doing this in Ottawa. I mean, Ottawa needs uh, more things to put itself on the map. And uh, it's great that you, you're uh, going to do this out of Ottawa. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that is fun because we can kind of explore, what, well, our thing, what's your thing? We want to meet as many different people from as many different backgrounds. And, you know, we can kind of put Ottawa more on the map with some, some interesting people. But that being said, you are among the most interesting. And I mean, looking at your background, coming all the way from Calcutta, landing in the United States, starting your education journey there, which is resume is immaculate coming to Carleton University my alma mater I'm like pretty proud to say I was part of then I guess what working for the UN and going on to working in the public service and then starting your own television company. station yeah, in tele- Malaysia <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, the yeah 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 not station production company yeah chocolate moose or- yeah uh, no. it was under UTV in those days yeah was it Malaysia's so, first daily soap opera or something yep, like that? Yep, Asia's first daily English language soap opera. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I was a producer of it, and that was cool. That was fun. <laughs> I had to tell the cameraman to kindly look through the lens instead of looking at the ceiling when he was shooting. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, early, no, mid-1990s. I would say 95, 96, 97, around there. Uh, up till about 2000, I did that in Asia, and then I moved back. Move. I didn't actually leave Canada, but I kind of came back permanently to uh, Ottawa and stayed here um, and gave up my uh, my shares in the company in Asia. Was this simultaneous? Like, or was this pre? Uh, gov- this was after the government work, right? This Public was things? after the government work. So I was uh, executive director of the UN Association uh, for five years. Then I worked for the what was then called the Minister of Employment and Immigration for a year. And then I was for five years Assistant Deputy Chairman of the Immigration Refugee Board. I was uh, head of the Backlog Division. And then uh, after that, it was a fixed term uh, appointment, uh, Governor and Council appointment. So uh, I then uh, decided that I wanted to, um, you know, basically to be in one drop in an ocean of problems, but uh, really to, my thing is really to try and move the world, try and better the human condition as much as one person can do, sitting in, in his home in Ottawa uh, and reaching around the world. But what I wanted to do was basically see if we can use media to make a difference in the world, but media with a difference. Uh, you know, when I started my company, uh, in Ottawa, there was no term called social enterprise. So nowadays we would call it a social enterprise, but I, I call this company a hybrid company. I used to use for-profit work to subsidize non-profit work. It started in 1995. And from then on, uh, we kind of uh, done quite a bit of work around the world on uh, various social issues. 
So that would that be it? Like if you were gonna, your whole background is so immense, but now would, if you were to look back, your your thing, your thing is social communication and better bettering the world. Yeah, it is. That. It is using media. My thing is using media across cultural boundaries, and that's an important part uh, to better the human condition. Um, basically, uh, my work, as far as I know, has been used in 198 countries. It now exists in over 500 language versions. I'm careful not to say languages because, you know, there might be like 50 or 80 versions of English, for example. Uh, and, uh, and I've created about 4,400 animated shorts uh, and plus documentaries in live action. Uh, on various social issues. So my, my, the biggest thing that people are curious about is how do you reach the entire world? Like how do you cross the cultural boundaries that separate human beings? You know, we all speak different languages. We have different ethnicities. We have different histories. We have different ways of looking at the world. And so uh, if you're talking about reaching literally billions of people, you have to understand human nature very carefully, uh, very, very deeply, because it's only by appealing to our commonalities as human beings that I can get around the various barriers that all of us carry around uh, to effective communications and to uh, understanding and to changing our behavior. And I think that's how you were able to get a campaign on condoms. Yep on television, on broadcast television in Catholic Mexico, simultaneously in Muslim Middle East. In Muslim Iran, absolutely. <laughs> I, heard, absolutely. Uh, I heard that an archbishop right. helped you out on that one. Yeah, an archbishop did help me out on that one. That's pretty and, cool. And uh, we're talking about the late uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, um, who's a, a strong supporter of my work. And, you know, I, I, he was an absolutely amazing guy. He, he absolutely one of my heroes, one of, the, one of the people that I'm so pleased that I just got to meet and got his advice on occasion and got his uh, support internationally. But he, he was just one of those people that uh, absolutely moved the world, I think, by his force of his own personality. He was a very funny guy. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, humorous uh, and we, we laughed a lot, uh, even though we were dealing with, you know, the causes of millions of people dying. More than 20 million Africans died of uh, HIV AIDS. And uh, he was an absolutely, you know, uh, he was so focused on making a difference as one person uh, and he kept saying, all I have is my voice. Well, in my case, I, all I have is my media. Uh, and so there's a parallel, but uh, but I was so pleased to have his support. We did make a difference on HIV AIDS. I have no doubt about it. Uh, we finally ended up doing uh, the campaigns called the Three Amigos. And we did it here in Ottawa. And we ended up having it used one way or the other in over 150 countries. It exists in 45 languages today. Uh, and that means that about 80% of the world's population can actually listen to the three amigos in their own language. And I have no doubt because we did it at the height of the HIV AIDS crisis uh, in many countries, particularly in South Africa, uh, which had at that point about 3.2 to 3.6 million people dying of AIDS, uh, it, it was absolutely incredible what was happening in South Africa at that time. And I do think that other people have said that, uh, you know, I, I'm careful how I word this, but other people have said that Three Amigos did vastly uh, assist in stopping the spread of AIDS, and they've done a lot of studies uh, on the effect of it. And so, yeah, uh, it was uh, it was the first big thing that I did, I suppose, uh, that got me going on this. I'd done previous work on HIV/AIDS uh, as well in South Africa. Uh, in live action, I created a uh, documentary short about what was happening, 
And uh, I had in an animation worked earlier with UNICEF on the Cartoons for Children's Rights series that they had produced. But I think that uh, the Three Amigos strengthened my hand and my understanding of the impact that media, if it's done well and can get around the cultural barriers that I talked about, can have on bettering the human condition. I find it interesting in your commencement speech, you talk about how you can be the individual, you can, you can make a difference, and you have a lot of background, um, especially you talk about meeting Mother Teresa in Calcutta, or yeah. was it your work with the UN, or was it your work in the public service that kind of gave you that push to be like, I, well, you also tutored um, uh, adults and children, correct? Um, what was it that kind of like, what, at what point with the Three Amigos, or if that was your first one, did you say like, okay, this is, I'm ready, I can do something? What, what was oh, I, I think it went far, beyond, far before that. You mentioned Mother Teresa. I think uh, I grew up in Calcutta and uh, Bombay, as they were then called. And uh, meeting Mother Teresa certainly had a great influence on me because my mother was the head of a national NGO in India. And she took me, she was a British-trained lawyer. Uh, it's called a barrister in, in England. Uh, and uh, and she took me to uh, sorry she was a solicitor not a barrister uh, she took me to uh, to meet Mother Teresa because she was volunteering at that time uh, in Calcutta Mother Teresa was not very well known at that time uh, she hadn't won the Nobel Prize and she certainly wasn't uh, as well known as she became later and I think that meeting Mother Teresa had a profound impact because. Mother Teresa was administering to uh, people who were dying. And you walk into this huge room at the age of eight and see people dying and see people in white saris, Mother Teresa and her colleagues, administering to these people who were in, in great distress, some of them. Uh, it has a searing impact on your brain. It's not something that you, that you would... Uh, forget as an eight-year-old very easily. And I think that my mother showed me the importance and Mother Teresa showed me the importance of working outside of one's comfort zone for the benefit of others. Well, that's pretty amazing stuff considering the cultural universal impact she's had really on like giving life to people or helping people at their most desperate moments. Uh, it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing mentor, someone to base your, your actions off of. And that that's where I get to my next question. I guess I listened to one of your talks and you were talking about how it was like three minutes for a phone call in India. And then somebody would say like, okay, your three minutes are up. It's going to cost you this to have another yeah. three minutes. And now it's less than an American cent to yeah. call around the world. Yeah. It seems like this has moved quite a long way since you started with the three Omega, your, out, your public outreach and, and your ability to communicate, as you said, so many languages and so many causes. What's the biggest challenge right now that you face in your thing? Oh, the biggest challenge has always been financing. Uh, you know, uh, people, when I, even going back to three Amigos, when we first started three Amigos and I had this, uh, and it was South African who had this uh, idea of uh, stopping the spread of AIDS uh, using three funny animated condoms. And I said, he wanted to do it just in South Africa, as I recall. And I said, no, we're going to do it on a global basis. Now, you can imagine that in the early 2000s, uh, without you know the, the purveyance of the internet that we now have, uh, where we had national broadcasters in many countries, uh, and you... you came up with this concept of having a global campaign to try and stop the spread of AIDS using three funny animated condoms. You can imagine that absolutely nobody was going to give me one cent for that uh, concept. So I said, that's fine. We don't need to raise money. We'll just get volunteers. And ultimately, over 400 people volunteered in the creation, in the voicing and the distribution of the three amigos. And nobody got paid a cent uh, to do it. We did get a few, uh, some very limited funds in South Africa, 
to distribute them and we got some limited funds from Omni Television to voice them into various languages, but nobody actually got paid. So um, I, I, from then on, it has always been a, a, a question of, uh, of financing and Caitlin and I uh, worked uh, together. She was a producer. We worked together on the No Excuses campaign on domestic and sexual violence. Nobody would give us one cent for that. Uh, and so it took longer to get done. Uh, it wasn't 3D animation, which is pretty expensive to do. Uh, but, you know, it, it absolutely, I, I don't regret it for a moment. I don't regret putting in time. I don't regret putting in money into these causes. And I don't know how much impact they've had. It's very, very, very difficult for me to know uh, how much impact because anybody can go to my Vimeo channel and down my, download my work for free. And you don't have to, we don't track you and you don't have to give me your email or anything and there's certainly no cost to it. Um, so it's very difficult to know uh, what all the people that have downloaded all my work in, in these umpteen languages have done. Sometimes you can know. To, to know in Three Amigos, for example, to go back to it, we know we drove up the sale of condoms in South Africa because, the, the, you know, people told us that, uh, the distributors of uh, condoms. We know in the case of, um, you know, it, it, it happens, the impacts and it kind of, comes once in a while. I would give you an example. I worked extensively and very, uh, uh, <clears throat> I, I did a lot of work on uh, stopping the spread of Ebola in West Africa uh, when it happened about, I guess now about six years ago, seven years ago. Um, and I was just sitting in a meeting at the UN when um, the, um, uh, it was on the lessons learned from the Ebola crisis. Uh, and I was just sitting in the audience and uh, one of the heads of the UN uh, in one of these countries, there are three countries in West Africa in particular that had a uh, Ebola crisis, uh, said, and these were ex her exact words, we were lost. And then this video uh, arrived and when I saw it, I immediately bought 2,000 uh, mobile phones and put the video on mobile phones and sent them across the country. And, and I was just sitting there. And then afterwards, I went up to her and said, could you kindly tell me the details about the video? Because maybe there was some other video she was talking about. Uh, and, but no, it turned out to be uh, the video that I had created, uh, directed, uh, called uh, A Poem for the Living. And uh, we ultimately did three videos uh, on uh, in the Ebola crisis. And that first one, the poem for the living, which, you know, has literally millions of views online uh, and was, was passed from mobile phone to mobile phone during the crisis. Um, it exists in 17 West African languages. And to this day, to the best of my knowledge, it is some of the only media in some of those languages ever created uh, in those languages. So um, I have always paid a lot of attention to making things local and to being inclusive. Uh, and what I mean by inclusive is you have to attach yourself to the communities that you're trying to affect. Uh, you can't just, you know, sit in Ottawa or wherever, New York or Geneva or wherever and say, okay, I know what's best, you know, in West Africa. I don't know what's best in Africa. The West Africans know what's best in Africa and so on. Uh, and so I always made sure that our work was incredibly local when you saw it. Uh, it sounded local. It looked local. Uh, and so when... Somebody just watches the animated short because they don't have any credits on it. They actually wouldn't know that a Canadian created it. They would think it's absolutely local, like it came from down the street. And that's the whole idea. Was that not the case with Buzz and Bite, if I remember correctly? You guys got very, very distinct like dialects of... Um, from Madagascar, yeah. yes. Yeah. We went to Madagascar 
um, as guests of the UNICEF. UNICEF. And it was the first time that Malagasy children had seen animation in their own language. They'd only ever had it in English. That blew my mind. Yeah, but it's more than that. It was the first time that any media, including movies, had been put into all 16 languages of Madagascar. That is pretty cool. The re- first time. And that was that was early mid 2000s. And that's, yeah, you think about the, even in the last, since then to now, yeah. how much things have changed. Like finding people with these languages and, and tracking everybody. Yeah, you can do everything online now. That's, I mean, we, we actually flew to Madagascar to do this, but nowadays, you know, Every language is available uh, online and you certainly don't know, need to go to these countries. But going to the countries, you know, I've been to 146 countries around the world. Uh, and uh, going to the countries gives you a much deeper understanding. And yes, I stay in a hotel and yes, I go out to the villages. And yes, sometimes I sleep on, you know, in a hut in Myanmar or whatever. Um, and it's... Of course, it's superficial. Of course, it's quick. Uh, but uh, when when you've been to 146 countries, you can't really stay uh, in in um, in a particular country. I mean, it is as what George Bernard Shaw said: a smattering of everything and a knowledge of nothing. But I think that it's better than sitting in Ottawa or Geneva or New York or wherever and thinking that you know the country uh, and you know what's best for the country. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those for sure uh, readers, but not necessarily doers. I like to read up on a lot of things, but I'm not well-traveled. And it is true what you say. Like you might think something because you're reading one narrative about something and you talk to somebody from that particular place and they're like, that's nothing of the sort. It's yeah, not. absolutely. What is, um, I was going to say, like with all of this, how has your perspective on this whole thing changed? Well, last? media has become much more prevalent. Uh, and uh, obviously visual media, uh, which is what uh, I create, has taken over the world. Uh, and I think we are only at the, I, I call this the age of communications, but it's the age of instant two-way personal communications, which is quite different than what we used to have. I mean, we used to sit in front of a television or a radio, and you can only get the information passively. Now you can get information and interact with it absolutely instantly. So that, you know, if there's some crisis in India and somebody sends me a video about it, I can immediately react to it. I can forward it. I can do whatever in real time. I mean, as it's happening. So uh, I do think that uh, we are just at the beginning of a new age of communications where we are all interconnected with each other. We have not yet understood both the opportunities and the risk that that uh, kind of thing creates. Uh, it's a new part of human history. Speaking to the opportunity, you were talking earlier about how funding is so hard to get, especially with the Three Amigos. I imagine that that probably had to do with when it was taking place. You know, you said passive communication. People are only seeing a kind of narrative. I believe that it was probably a pretty taboo subject back then. Oh, um, it's a sexually transmitted disease. Yeah. So, and yeah, condoms were... And uh, lots of stigma around uh, condoms. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you think and, now... And, and, and there was a particular pope who wasn't terribly keen. <laughs> sure, and um, that's, that's where Desmond Tutu is such a hero, right? Yeah. But now do you think... Because we see information in real time and we can interact, you find that maybe, as you said, let's say there was a crisis in India or something like that, people are more receptive and more responsive to their want, desire to help because it's in their face? Or has any of that changed? Or do you think it, it might be a, get better to a, get funding now? Yeah, no, I don't know if it's easier to get funding. Uh, certainly, there's a lot, lot more understanding of now what is called social and behavior change communications. It used to be called just... Behavior change communications, now we've expanded it to be called social and behavior change communications. But, uh, and I've been doing that for 28 years, so it's a long time before these kinds of terms appeared. Uh, And yes, there's a lot more being done. Uh, An organization like UNICEF or even the British government at one point had in-house people. Canada has a unit uh, apparently that does that. 
Uh, I haven't actually met them ever, but um, but I do think that uh, I do think that um, there is a huge amount being done uh, with a lot of behavior science and evidence behind it that wasn't there before. Uh, having said that. You know, I keep saying that the creation of media is an art. It's not a science. And no matter, you know, you can have the world's best uh, director. He can't tell you whether his movie is going to be a hit or not going to be a hit. He does the best he can or she does the best she can. And hopefully the movie is acceptable. Um, it's art. It's not science. And no matter how much the bean counters say, uh, show me it works. I, I can't always do that. I mean, I can tell you anecdotally that, for example, I created a, a video uh, called A Plea to My Father uh, on um, the after effects of rape in the, in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo, the DRC. The DRC has apparently the highest percentage of rape uh, for their population in the world. And I, we had already created Nosusis, which was designed to stop the spread of rape uh, or to bring attention to the rape. And, you know, uh, I created this video with local people, very much with local people in the DRC. Uh, and what it was, it was to create a conversation. It's not the video itself makes a difference. It creates a conversation. I call it a catalyst video. And it is that conversation that happens locally, very locally, that creates the difference. Now, nobody can do a study in the DRC, uh, a baseline study, and then say, okay, now you've watched a video and so on, and uh, have you changed your mind about how you're going to deal with uh, the victims of rape? But I can tell you that women in their thousands watched it. They used to discuss it. They used to come together in churches and other places. Then they, the women locally, took it. It was only designed for the DRC, they took it locally to other places, uh, neighboring countries like Uganda and Zambia. And then some people moved it, again, women moved it to the northern regions of Nigeria, where there are Boko Haram That's and Boko other Haram, murder, yeah. murderous organizations that, that rape women. And they were using the video to go into schools. And the only reason, and uh, you know, to uh, ask young people about rape and then get a discussion going. And the only reason I know it ever went to northern Nigeria is because somebody wrote an article about it. If somebody hadn't written an article about it, I wouldn't have known. Uh, and nobody tells me these things. I mean, there's no kind of reporting back uh, mechanism. And I don't want the reporting back mechanism. I don't want the paperwork. I don't want people to feel that they have to prove that they, it works or they, they, they've used it. And, you know, for me, sometimes if I throw darts on a wall and, you know, 50 times and five of them stick and 45 of them don't stick, that's way okay. That's absolutely okay. Because in final analysis, we can only be satisfied that our, uh, our work works because local people say they've used it and it works. And that's really all I need. That's, that's pretty cool. It Considering that's the end result is if people are spreading that message, you start in one country and it starts local and it moves on, then you know it's not about the clout and getting it out there. It's about people actually talking to one another about serious issues and getting the message across. That's, so that, that being said, we, you started with this Three Amigos, again, I'm going to go back to that, and this controversial kind of animation. Yeah. You moved on to so much more. You've obviously, based on what you've told us before, gotten so much outreach. What are you saying What's your predictions for the future of this? My, let me just, uh, before I come to your question, let me just say that's not the most controversial or difficult issue I dealt with, believe it or not, even though it's a sexually transmitted disease. I actually created a series uh, in Arabic on values for children, universal values for children that were broadcast by the Al Jazeera Children's Channel in Arabic. It went to over 150 million households in 27 countries in Arabic on values like gender equality between boys and girls, 
accepting others, accepting other cultures, uh, on, on not polluting, uh, on honoring your parents and things like that. And I targeted between nine and 11 years old. Uh, and I, I, I didn't really want them to change their behavior as much as to put into their minds these messages so that when uh, in the Middle East there's, a, you know, unfortunately too much violence and when, when a young person then becomes 16, 17, 18 and they start to get into uh, violence and, uh, and other uh, antisocial behavior, they might get constrained. Uh, simply, they might not know why they're getting constrained. They might not remember uh, even what they had seen between 9 and 11 years old, but that's the whole idea. And that series is called Hind and Hamsa. You can, still can't see it on the internet. The broadcaster didn't put it on the internet, but they, they played it up to 20 times a day for two years. And That was Al Jazeera? Al Jazeera, Chivas Channel. Yeah, and, and it was amazing. I told the, the head uh, of the channel, you know, this is like mind blowing. Why don't you tell, you know, some journalists and this is going to be on the cover of every magazine paper in the world. It's, it was, we, the point is that we did not create a storm. We didn't have people push back on the channel. Uh, and, and can you imagine that there's an Arabic series that says boys and girls are equal and this is going into, you know, the most conservative uh, countries uh, in the world uh, on those kinds of issues. Yes, it's, I've worked uh, on Afghan things, uh, you know, uh, for Afghanistan in Dari and Pashto languages. I've worked in Farsi for Iran uh, and obviously a lot of work in other countries around the world. But Hind and Hamza, which is totally unknown outside the Middle East and, and virtually nobody knows a Canadian did it, uh, is, um, it is, I think, the best example of how you can tackle a really difficult and controversial issue and still get local acceptance. Uh, and yeah, it, uh, and I'm giving credit to the channel because it wasn't my idea to do it. Uh, I was ultimately commissioned to do 25 spots. I did 20 extra spots because wow. I thought uh, at my own cost, because I thought maybe some of these will be too difficult for them to broadcast or become too controversial or whatever. And the 20, uh, the, the 21st spot I did was I wanted to do one against uh, child labor, the use of child labor. And the broadcaster said to me, I know, you know, there's a lot of child labor in a country like Egypt. We don't think uh, we can have one on child labor. Well, I said, well, I'm doing 20 extra. I'm going to do 21 extra and send it to you and, and see what you want to do with it. Yeah, you don't have to play it, obviously. They played all 46 spots. That's all amazing. 46 spots in, in 150 million plus households in Arabic. And you know, there's some kid that's watching or somebody that's watching that, that just like, maybe it didn't make an impact at that moment in their life, but it's like somebody understands if they're going through something, they see it and they... But I, I hope so. I mean, I, I hope so. I, when we got a Peabody for the three amigos, uh, I thank the audience and the jury uh, for the Peabody because I said, look, there might be a young person, a young couple, for example, uh, who are uh, who were going to have unprotected sex and then open themselves to risk of uh, HIV AIDS. Uh, and uh, maybe uh, the broadcaster has taken the Peabody, which is a very prestigious award, seriously and played the three amigos. And maybe they watched that before having unprotected sex and then changed their mind and, and engaged in responsible behavior. And so, uh, the, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the impact can't be measured. Uh, I don't really want it to be measured. Uh, and it has certainly held me back a lot of times when people just say, well, show us it works. I mean, it's a totally reasonable question. 
but I can't always quantify uh, these things. Uh, and it would be a mind-boggling task, considering I've done 78 series now. Uh, it would be an absolutely mind-boggling task to uh, try and quantify the impact. So, you know, I'm perfectly happy by saying, I don't know what the impact is. Uh, you want to you wanna gauge it? Be my guest. But I don't know what my work's impact has been. That's, that's, I guess, a perfect prelude to the next question. Where is the future in this? What, uh, what's next, 78? Are you going to just carry on? Oh, I'm forward? absolutely going to carry on. I have absolutely no intention of, uh, of retiring ever. Uh, as long as I can work uh, on this, I will. Um, what's the future? You know, if you ask me the future of the world, look, we've talked about sexual violence. We've talked about millions of people dying over preventable disease like AIDS. We've talked about, uh, you know, uh, human rights violations. I have seen and dealt with some of the world's most difficult problems where, you know, it would be easy for me to say, I despair. The world's going in the wrong direction. Uh, I know and I've seen enough to be able to justify an opinion that says that the world's going to hell. I don't think so at all. Uh, I think that, yes, we have problems in the world. Uh, but, you know, think about the issues that we've talked about. I, I've, we haven't talked about all the issues, but think about just the ones that we've talked about. On HIV AIDS, you can now live a full uh, and productive life with it being HIV positive. When I did the Three Amigos, HIV was basically a death sentence in South Africa because there were no antiretroviral drugs at, at that point. Malaria, we have made, okay, we had a little setback with COVID, but until then we were making great progress on, uh, on malaria. Human rights, we all now have cell phones. They're the best thing we can use to enhance human rights. You see somebody getting beaten up, uh, you see, you know, and uh, that's what we need. We need, uh, we need all of us to be to use our technology uh, to enhance these kinds of things. And I so as in technology becomes more pervasive uh, in our daily lives, I'm actually more optimistic. I'm quite optimistic. I think that on uh, Ebola, on HIV/AIDS, on malaria, on Guinea worm. Guinea worm's an interesting one. Uh, because it'll become only the second after smallpox, it'll become only the second uh, disease that's transmittable uh, that we will eliminate on the planet. I worked on guinea worm in Chad, uh, and this is uh, one of the great uh, success stories of Jimmy Carter and the Carter uh, Center in Atlanta, uh, where... Um, I know Mr. Carter is uh, is obviously aged and uh, perhaps will not be with us very much longer. And he has said publicly that he hopes that Guinea worm will be uh, eliminated during his lifetime. And we've come very, very close. I mean, last year there were just a handful of cases, you know, hundreds of thousands, not just tens, but hundreds of thousands of people used to get uh, Guinea worm uh, in Africa and other places. Uh, at one point. And here we are almost at the threshold, if not actually have eliminated it this year. I, yeah, it's uh, so I'm optimistic. Uh, you know, uh, I, I push back uh, and I said at the beginning, I'm just a drop in the ocean uh, of, and we could say a drop in the ocean of problems, uh, you know, and yeah, but one drop, Another drop, another drop, another drop, and you know, pretty soon maybe you got a bucket uh, full and going into the ocean, and then you get more buckets full, and pretty soon you got a swimming pool size of uh, of change happening. That's how you make change. I feel like that's a great message, considering a lot of when you talk about technology and the advancements, a lot of people are, I find in my relationships, are a little bit negative on it because they. Social media is so demanding and it's everywhere and it's all the time. It's all encompassing. It's nice to like kind of remind us like human advancement technology is actually making such a significant difference in the world as opposed to just like focusing on the mundane, like reading news all the time and maybe getting down on yourself or just obsessing over your screen. 
Yeah, it's nice absolutely. to know that but, I was very privileged to be able to do that. But at the same time, this same technology is being used to literally fundamentally change the world forever. Absolutely. Eradicating I mean, disease. It, and, and all the new technologies uh, that are coming up, mRNA, it, they're now thinking that they can uh, prevent certain kinds of cancer with mRNAs. Uh, vaccines, uh, AI is now, artificial intelligence is now on the horizon. Yes, it can be used for a lot of disinformation. Yes, it can create a lot of chaos in the world, uh, but it can also be used for a lot of good. Uh, AI could solve uh, some of uh, humans, uh, humankind's problems faster uh, and uh, then virtually, you know, any human can. So I do think that if we manage ourselves properly as a planet, as a species, uh, obviously we have challenges, uh, human rights, climate change, everything, else, inequality, everything you want, to, you want to throw at me. And I would say, yeah, uh, those are all problems and we, we need to uh, pay attention to them. But overall, if you ask me, is the world going in the right direction? I would say on a balance of probabilities, 50% more, yes, in the right direction, and then less. Yeah, that's certainly inspirational considering I feel like with our <clears throat> obsession over like there's media everywhere all the time. It's just everything's in your face. It can be pretty negative at times and we tend to forget, you know, where were we 40 years ago? We yeah. weren't staring at this screen, being able to find anything we wanted about our favorite sports players on our favorite sports team in a matter of seconds as opposed to just looking at one newspaper and getting, you know, one person's opinion on something. Now it's being used for, a, 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 yeah, again, like a force of change. I guess the next question would be, now that we've talked so much about this, what would surprise people the most about your thing? Like you've talked so much about how it's impacted the world in many different avenues. What would you I, say surprised people I don't think most? anybody, even in this town in Ottawa, where <laughs> lived for, I, I guess, about 40 years now. Uh, I don't think anybody has a clue that one guy sitting in his office can, uh, home office, can make a difference like this. Um, I, I often say my work is much more famous than I am. Uh, you know, uh, I, I once was standing in a, uh, at a meeting next to a, uh, a health minister from an African country and uh, that health minister and I just started chatting in the coffee. Uh, and he said, he, I said, well, I do. He asked me what I did. And I said, well, I create uh, media for social change. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, well, and then we got talking and he said, we have this malaria program. Uh, and every year we saturate the country with these two mosquitoes, uh, you know, and I said, well, yeah, they're called Buzz and Bite and I produced them. <laughs> <laughs> and he had absolutely no idea. I was standing there next to him. Uh, you know, and every year this country, I don't want to name the country, uh, but every year this country saturates uh, their airwaves uh, with uh, Buzz and Bite. So, um, yeah, I I don't I I think most people would be surprised. Uh, most people would be uh, would be uh, you know there've been about a dozen masters or PhD theses written on my work around the world, and what most students have asked me about is what I told you about going across cultural barriers, like uh, very few people have been able to reach into 198 countries. And, uh, you know, um, with these kinds of social messaging, and we're talking about huge organizations like the UN system with gazillion dollars uh, being spent on these kinds of things. So uh, it, it is possible, uh, but I think that would be the most surprising thing to people. Leading up to this, if you had to choose one thing or one message that you could provide to people about this, what would it be? You can make a difference. That's an easy one to answer. Every person has the ability to make a difference. Now, it doesn't mean that you all have to, everybody has to go out and tackle the world's problems on a global basis. 
You don't have to do that. Just in your own home, just in your own community, just in your own little social group, whatever it is, you can make a difference. There isn't a single person in this planet, if they have the will to make a difference, can uh, everybody can make a difference. So if you have an idea, no matter how small or how big it is, Go for it is my answer. Just go for it. Don't let anybody stop you. Uh, and, you know, if somebody had asked me 28 years ago when I started uh, doing this work uh, in Ottawa, well, it's just one guy sitting at your computer, you know, what do you think you're going to be able to accomplish? I would have said to them, actually, uh, I probably won't accomplish much at all, but I'm going to try uh, and and not let anybody dissuade me from trying. Uh, and yeah, I you know, didn't make much money out of it uh, and, uh, and still don't know how much uh, I've succeeded or not succeeded, but it's better than not doing something uh, when you have a, an interest or a will to do something. So just go for it. No matter how small or how big your idea is, reach for the stars. That's a pretty amazing message. And it kind of, it's, it's pretty motivating actually starting out the podcast. It's like just doing this. Cause you know what we can, hopefully your message gets out to people here, you know, like just yeah, like okay. one simple step at a time. And, and, and your podcast, that's a good example. I hope it, uh, you know, ultimately reaches millions of people. Uh, I know that you're going to have a lot of uh, very interesting people in Ottawa to, uh, to interview. Um, that this town is full of people uh, that are, that have tremendous backgrounds and and have done a lot in the world. Um, so yeah, I wish you all the best and uh, thank you for having me on your uh, first podcast. Oh, it's it's pretty amazing. But before we go, we got one for you now that's going to switch. Uh, if you're comfortable with it, sure. You've told us a lot. Like again, going back to our introduction and just what you've said is pretty. I think it's pretty amazing when you're someone like myself who's had, you know, different experiences in my life, but local, lived in Ottawa, not well-traveled to hear the things that you've done and accomplished, but it's pretty cool. Now we want to know something about you that maybe isn't about your thing, you know, just something else. Like <laughs> well, it's fun. a bit tied in. It's a bit tied in. I'm a big fan of uh, Charles Schultz and uh, the Peanuts characters. And I, Charlie Brown? Uh, yeah, Charlie Brown. I actually have an original Snoopy drawing uh, in my basement uh, that appeared in animation and uh, in, in a special. And Charles Schultz did about 67, uh, I think, uh, animated uh, productions. Uh, and people know him best for the, for the cartoon strip. But in fact, he had an enormous impact in, in the world of animation. I equate him uh, with uh, Walt Disney. Uh, because he was the first person, you don't know what the character of Mickey Mouse is, but you know what the character of Charlie Brown and Lucy and Snoopy and so on are. He was the first person to draw characters where you actually got to know the character development, the characteristics, the personalities uh, of the, uh, the various characters. So I think that's that's absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and I do think that uh, I'm a Snoopy fanatic, uh, I, uh, I kind of, I, I have a, uh, great affiliation, uh, with, with Snoopy, uh, and, uh, you, you, you sleep uh, up, uh, up on top of the roof. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, that's so creative. I no, mean, it's, it's I, hilarious. It's I, like, I you think, a, you think of the peanuts, you think of the football, like oh, there's, yeah, there's so many, yeah, like Lucy pulling away the football, but there's a good example. And there we, we come back to, we come back to this, just keep trying. You know, uh, Charlie Brown never, as far as I know, kicks the football. Uh, Lucy always uh, pulls it away, but he keeps trying. Now, you might think that that's pretty stupid. Like, you know, after you've done it, like, you know, a few times, why would you keep doing the same thing? That's not the point. That's the whole point is to try and do it. Uh, and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And maybe Lucy will let him kick that down football. One, one day. Someday. someday. But that's, that goes back to everything we've talked about. Maybe, you know, maybe he's driven by the, the trying and not by the succeeding, you know? Absolutely. He just wants, like, that's absolutely. His and yeah, uh, it's absolutely right. And 
And I think that, uh, I do think that that kind of encapsulates uh, my own life. Uh, just keep trying. Uh, I've always reached beyond my grasp. Uh, I've always known that, you know, some things will probably fail and I'm fine with that. I, I know that some things could become controversial and I'm fine with that. Um, although I must say on that score, I've been surprised at how little controversy there's been on some of my work. But um, I do think that uh, I'm going to keep trying. I'm done for 28 years and if I'm still alive in 28 years, I'm still going to keep doing it. Well, before we go, obviously everything we've talked about today, there's some really important messaging. Can you please, I'd, I'd love for you to plug some information out to anybody who's listening, you know, where they can find resources on anything that you want to share. Well, they can go to my, uh, my website. My company is called Chocolate Moose Media. It's M-O-O-S-E, moose, uh, not the dessert, but the animal. Uh, and uh, they can find my work on uh, my Vimeo channel. So all, not all my work, but a lot of my work is available there. It's very difficult to search. I'm afraid Vimeo doesn't make it terribly easy, but uh, they can always write to me if they want anything specific to look at. It's a large number of them also on YouTube. Uh, I think about 1,800 or so uh, videos are on YouTube uh, in various languages. And, you know, there's no commercialization at all if you go to any of these. There are no ads. You don't have to give me an email, nothing. Just see it. Uh, and if it's useful to you, you're free to download it and use it in any language in any of the 78 series that I've created. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, obviously, thank you for everything you do. But also, thank you for being our first guest it's on a, the podcast. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I, I really hope uh, your podcast takes off. And uh, as I said, uh, you've got at least one listener as of this moment. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> you. you know what? Like, uh, maybe we can have you on again. Get some updates on. Uh, it yeah. won't be. Uh, it won't be. What's your thing? It's how's your thing going? So, All right. <laughs> thank you so Anytime. much. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Thank you. Please follow us on whatsyourthingpod.com. All of the social medias: Instagram, Facebook, you name it. We look forward to hearing your feedback, and maybe one day you can tell us what's your thing. What's your thing? <laughs>